Well, please remain standing as we open up the Lord's Word. We're going to be reading Exodus 19. So please turn in your Bibles to Exodus 19. If you're using the Pew Bibles, I believe this is page 60. We'll be reading Exodus 19. We'll read the entire chapter. The flower fades and the grass withers, but the word of our Lord endures forever. On the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. And they set out from Rephidim and came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. And there Israel encamped before the mountain. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on Egypt's wings, on eagle's wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And so Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. And so Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. For whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. And they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. And on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. And then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. And Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. And the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. And the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to look to the Lord, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up on Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. The Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. Since the reading of the Lord's word this morning, let's pray and ask him to bless it. Father, who among us could stand before your voice? You speak words that are deep and true. And Father, we tremble before you. 
Please work in our hearts. Please enable us to hear what you have to say, to hear both what you are convicting us of in our sin, but also the comfort of the gospel. Lead us, Lord, to our mediator, Jesus. Help us, Lord. Enable us to stand before you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So throughout Scripture, and really the history of the world, God has revealed himself by speaking. He began creation by speaking. He brought mankind into covenant through words. He taught Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who he was by talking to them. And we just read his word. Even now, the Lord reveals himself through words, through his voice. We know God by hearing his voice. And Paul will go as far to say... How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe of him they've never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they're sent? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing the word of Christ. God reveals himself through his word, through his voice, through him speaking. Now, obviously, the Lord can use other means, right, to bring faith to someone. He doesn't have to use verbal, out loud words. But he tells us that his ordinary method, his chosen method of revealing himself, ordinarily, is through the spoken word. And look throughout Exodus, and you'll see that this is true. God has consistently revealed himself by speaking out loud to Moses and the burning bush, He called to Moses, spoke to him out of the burning bush. God revealed himself to Pharaoh by speaking to him through Moses, his his mouthpiece. And as as the case is today, in our passage this morning, he reveals himself to Israel by speaking. And in this case, very, very loudly. And the message that he communicates, the the thing that the Lord is saying, and how he says it is communicating something very important. The Lord is communicating in our passage with his voice and with his words that he is king. He is the king who creates and who unmakes by the power of his voice. He is the king who can create with his voice, but he's also the king who can unmake with his voice. He is the Lord over all the earth who speaks and all must listen. And as we shall see, the only way to respond is either to run or it is to surrender. So just to reiterate where we're going today, the Lord is the king of the earth who creates and unmakes with his voice. So surrender to him. Now, you may be wondering why this chapter feels a little familiar. And it's because I preached this chapter back in July. I don't blame you if you forgot. Uh, I forgot. And we said that back in July that in this passage, the Lord shows how Israel, how you are his treasured possession. You, his people, are his treasured possession because your covenant mediator ascended the mountain of God's judgment on your behalf. But like most of Scripture, this passage is is rich and dense, and it's like a Costco sample. It just leaves you wanting more. Right? Every time we take a bite, we're like, ooh, that's good. I want like eight more of those. 
Um, that's what this passage is like. It's so packed and so flavorful that we can just com- keep coming back and finding more. And so I'd like to narrow in uh, again on this passage, even though we've done it before, on this message that the Lord is sending, this message that he is the king who can create and unmake. And so when Israel comes to Mount Sinai, this is also known as the mountain of God. And in scripture, and even in the ancient world, mountains were known as the throne rooms of gods. It was like their palace. Right? You think of Mount Olympus in Greek mythology. That was where all the gods hung out. Right? That was their house. There was the temple, their, their palace. Um, same with the Lord, except he did it first. Uh, he is the one who's chosen a mountain to, to sh- be his, his temple on earth, his palace. So when Israel comes to Mount Sinai, they are coming to the palace of the king. And so when the Lord speaks out of the mountain, he is speaking as king. What he says, uh, begins to say in verses 4 and 5 is this. Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and then tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. How I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. Now, notice two things. First, all the earth belongs to God. Now, why does it belong to Him? Well, quite simply, because He made it. God made heavens and earth. Of course, it belongs to Him. But how did he make it? He spoke. He commanded it to exist, and it did. He said, let there be light, and light was. Nothing can resist the power of his creative voice. If he says, this will be, it is. So, of course, all the earth belongs to him. He's the one who created it, who made it by speaking to it. He is the king who rules over it by the power of his voice. Now, Israel has come to his mountain, to the mountain of the king, the throne room of the God who rules over heaven and earth, who created all things. And what does he say to this people? That Israel will be his treasured possession. But the Hebrew word behind treasured possession, it means royal treasure. He's saying that he is the king and Israel is his royal treasure. And I don't know about you, but I don't know of any kings who are satisfied with second-rate treasure. So when he says, you're my treasured possession, he's saying, you are the most valuable thing I have. I own everything, but you, you are the most valuable to me. And how did God do this? How did God create Israel? How did he bring them out to himself? How did he bear them on eagles' wings? How did he do all of these things? He spoke. Let my people go. And for as as much as Pharaoh tried to resist the voice of God, he couldn't. The voice of the king is powerful enough to create heaven and earth out of nothing, and to create a holy nation, to create a royal treasure out of a bunch of slaves. Because Israel was not worth much. They were a bunch of slaves, oppressed, ignored. And yet the Lord said, you are treasured to me. And so he spoke, and they were so. 
But just as easily as the king of the earth can create with his voice, he can unmake just as easily. Now let's jump down to verse 16, where the Lord says he is going to come to Israel. He's going to arrive. That on, verse, uh, on the morning of the third day, he is going to come down, touch the mountain, speak to Moses, and all Israel will hear what he has to say. And so on the, on the morning when God arrives, here's what happens. Verse 16, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. And then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. But Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. And the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in the voice. Now, the arrival of the king, he arrives in pomp and splendor and glory. A trumpet blast, a horn blast announces his arrival. This is the unmistakable royal announcement that if we had eyes to see, we would see, likely, uh, his messengers, his angels, trooped and flocked around him, and some blowing horns to announce the arrival of the king. With his coming, there's thunder and lightning. Storms happen, smoke and fire, and it goes louder and louder and louder, and yet Moses could still hear the voice of God. Over all that racket, he could hear God, because God's voice is more powerful than all of that put together. And you may notice that it says at the last bit in your, in your translations, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. But that word there is the same word for voice. God's voice is so awe-inspiring that it sounds like thunder tearing the sky. And the entire mountain trembles. And it's not just the mountain quaked, but it's, the image is that the mountain was shaking in fear. There's trembling like a puppy that goes under the bed during a thunderstorm. That's the image of this mountain shaking. And notice that Israel doesn't see God. They can't. They can't see through the clouds. They can't see through the smoke. The only way they know God is there is by his voice. They hear him. And all of his power. And all of his destructive power. Thunder, lightning, earthquakes. These are not images of creation. These are images of creation groaning. Of creation being shaken to its core. He's saying he has the power. His voice has the power to unmake what he has made. That if he wanted to, he could speak and creation would stop existing. And this is not the only time in Scripture that God's voice sounds like thunder. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve eat of the forbidden tree. And they hear the sound of God walking. In the translations, it will say something like walking in the cool of the day. And often you'll hear, right, well, God was taking his mid-afternoon stroll, and it just happened upon Adam and Eve. But in the Hebrew, it says that they hear the voice of God coming as the spirit of the day. As in, 
He's coming in the spirit of judgment. Of the day. That when Adam and Eve hear the voice of God, they're hearing God coming in storm wind and judgment because they have sinned, and so of course they hide. That's why they hide. Not because they hear God taking a stroll, but because they hear him coming in power and judgment, and it's terrifying. Because when the Lord shows up in fire and an earthquake and in lightning and a thunderous voice, he is demonstrating that he is not only the king of the earth, but he is also the judge of the earth. He has the power to create and to unmake. Psalm 29 describes the voice of God as having the power to break the cedars of Lebanon, to shake the deserts, to strip the forest bare. Who can stand before his voice? Which one of us could stand before God's thunder and lightning and hear his voice? None of us. Because how could we stand before the king of the earth and bear his scorching gaze, have our hearts opened up to him, to have all of our sins and all of our shame exposed, nowhere to hide, how could we stand? We could not. And that's why the Lord puts limits around the mountain. Because he knows his people could not stand before him. And so he says, don't even come close. He says twice, first in verse 12 and then again 21, that if anyone breaks through to the Lord, he will break out against him. That means God's judgment is contained currently. His power and his voice are contained. But if you break that barrier, you unleash it upon yourself. Because the Lord does not yet want to judge his people. He puts limits. He limits who can even come up. Only one man gets to come up. It's Moses. And Moses is only allowed to bring Aaron. And even then, they must all be consecrated, which means made holy before they do. Otherwise, they put their lives in risk. So there's only two ways to respond to this voice. There's only two ways to respond to the voice of the king who can create and unmake. The first is what Adam and Eve did. The first way to respond to God's voice is to hide. It's to put fig leaves on. To ask the mountains to fall upon you. And to hope that he doesn't find you. Or you could surrender. And surrendering to the Lord means two things. First, it means that you submit to him and that you obey his voice. In verses 4 and 5, the Lord says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings, brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. And then Israel responds a few verses later in verse 8. They say, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. They're like, yep, sounds good. But I'm not sure they fully know what they're in for yet. Because they haven't yet truly heard his voice. 
And what we find out is that the consequences for refusal to surrender, a refusal to obey the Lord, is death. The Lord says in verse 12, whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. Verse 21, don't let the people break through lest they perish. Verses 22 and 24, lest the Lord break out against those who come through if they're not consecrated. Uh, The promise, they, they promise to obey the Lord. But over and over and over again, Israel is warned, if you fail, the consequence is death. But surrender means something else too, not just obey. To surrender to the Lord means to trust Him. To surrender to the Lord means to put your life in His hands with the full knowledge that He could do whatever He wants. To surrender means I am going to trust Him because I have no other where, no place else to go. Because notice the reason why the Lord says Israel should obey their voice. What does God say? He says, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians for you. And how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now obey my voice. It isn't obey my voice and then I'll save you. That's what idols promise. That's what false gods promise. Obey and then I'll save you. God promises, I have saved you. I have done this. Now obey. Now surrender. Now trust me. Because look what I have done for you. That is the basis of your surrendering trust and dependence upon God is what he has already done for you. Because obedience and trust, they are bound up together. Obedience without trust, that's hypocrisy. Trust without obedience is just lip service. But both obedience and trust begin with what the Lord has already done. He is the King who created you by speaking you into existence. He's the king who can make mountains quake and make dry land ripple as though it's water. Do you really think he can't save you from your sin? Do you really think that he doesn't have the power or resources to help you? Do you think God is somehow limited? But you may say, right, well, if God has all this ability and and I'm supposed to trust him, then how come he doesn't answer my prayers? How come he hasn't helped me yet? How come I'm still struggling with this sin, even though I've asked for him to help me? How come I'm still suffering, even though I've asked him to heal me? How come my beloved has passed away? Why would God let that happen? How could a God so good let bad things happen to me? Why should I trust him? But remember, 
the basis for your trust in God is not what he's done for you lately. The basis for your trust in God is what he has already done for you. Israel was to surrender and trust him because he had already delivered them out of Egypt. He had brought them through the Red Sea. He had destroyed their enemies. He had fed them manna. He gave them water from the rock. He defended them from the Amalekites. He had done all of this. And all of it put together is nothing compared to what Jesus has done for you. All that God has done for the Israelites is nothing compared to what Jesus has done for you. You are to surrender and to trust and to obey the Lord because Jesus, as the Gospel of John says, is the Word made flesh. Jesus was the voice of God incarnated and walking around. Hebrews 1 says that God once spoke to his people through prophets, but now he speaks through his son. And when Jesus was transfigured on the mountain, lots of cool stuff happens on mountains. But when Jesus was transfigured on the mountain, a voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And the disciples fall on their faces in fear when they hear this voice. But what was Jesus' message? What are we to listen to? Repent and believe the gospel. What is this gospel that you are to believe? It's this. That God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. He became flesh. He is the voice of God made flesh, walking around and speaking to his people. He lived a perfect and sinless life. He never once disobeyed. He never once uh, rebelled against God. But when the time came, Jesus picked up his cross. And he walked up the mountain towards his death. He went up the mountain to face the voice of God. To face the king and all of his power, and all of his creating power, and all of his uncreating power. To hear that voice speak to him on the cross. But there were no limits in place to protect Jesus. There were no limits around the cross to prevent him from facing the full wrath of God. But he was perfect. Right? So there shouldn't have been any problem. Jesus should not have been afraid of anything because he was perfect. The voice of God would strip him bare and reveal nothing but righteousness. There should have been nothing to judge in Jesus. But when he picked up his cross, he picked up your sins too. He gathered all of them up. And he carried them on his back as though they were his sins. And so when he faced the voice of God in all of his judgment, the overwhelming power of God unmade Jesus. He died. And the earth shook. Because Jesus took upon himself the judgment that you deserve. That should have been you. 
That should have been me. We should have stood before God's voice and been unmade by it. But because he loved you, Jesus Christ stood and took the full brunt of God's judgment and power on your behalf. He died. And with him died all your sins. With him died all of your shame. With him died all of your guilt. With him died all of your fears. Why would he do such a thing? Why would he do that for you and for me? A bunch of slaves. Because he loves you. Because he said, you are my treasured possession. To me, you are more valuable than all the peoples of the earth. Not because you are worth anything in yourself, but simply because I love you. And you are mine. And because he loved you, he didn't just stop there. It would have been enough for Jesus to die for your sins, but instead of just stopping there, he said, I'm going to come back to life. I'm going to be resurrected, and with me, you will be resurrected too. So that the creating power of God's voice will be spoken into your life, and you will be made new, a new creation by the power of God's voice. Which means you will never, through Jesus, you will never hear God's voice of judgment. He will never speak to you and judge you to death because there is no more condemnation. There's no more judgment left. It was exhausted on the cross. This is what the Lord has done for you through Christ. The best part is that now Christ has freed you to fully surrender to him. The Lord has freed you to trust him. Because if the Lord did not spare his own son, how will he not graciously give you all things? Trust him. Surrender your life to him. Trust and believe that the sufferings that you are going through, the trials, the struggles, the temptations, the sins, the hurts, and the pains are all because the king of the world has purposed it for your good. Believe that. And obey him. Not because you're afraid that if you don't obey him, he's going to kill you. That time is past. Through Jesus Christ, you are free to obey God freely, without fear, out of love for him, out of gratitude for what he has done. It truly is. I have died on the cross for you. Your sins are forgiven. You have been given eternal life. So obey me. Trust me. And beloved, guess what? Jesus is coming back. And it's soon. And on that day, when Christ returns, we will hear the voice of an archangel. We will hear a trumpet blast so loud that it's going to be heard around the earth. And the king of the earth is going to arrive. 
and clouds and in glory and with his host of angels and everybody who has ever fallen asleep will come back to life. All people will be resurrected and they will stand before Jesus and they will hear his voice. And without faith, they will hear the voice of judgment. But with faith in Christ, if you believe the gospel, you will hear the voice of your Savior saying to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. You are my beloved possession. That is the voice of your Savior. And you will hear it soon. I'd like to invite the elders forward now so that we can partake of the Lord's Supper and seal his word to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this gift. We thank you again for all you've done for us. Lord, we ask that you would give us the grace, you would strengthen us, that you would give us the desire to surrender all to you. Help us, Lord, to trust you, to not doubt your goodness or your power, but to trust you with all of our lives. Help us, Lord, to obey you to submit to your word, to submit to your rules and commands, not because we are afraid of you uh, breaking out against us, but because you have broken out against Christ. You have saved us, and now we get to obey joyfully as we were made to do. Help us, Lord, by your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.